Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Today we are in John chapter 1, and we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, how Jesus disorients our concept of identity. We're in this series called Reorienting and Renovating, and how when people come into contact with Jesus, he disorients them. Like Jesus comforts, Jesus heals, Jesus cares, but Jesus kind of flips your world upside down. And as we talk about this question, who are you? Jesus disorients how we answer that question in order to reorient us on him and make us answer that question differently. Because our world often talks about identity as something that we achieve whereas Christians have an identity that we receive, that we receive. So we're going to be reading uh, about 30 verses in John chapter 1, where the gospel writer John talks to us about John the Baptist and the calling of Jesus' first disciples. And so if you need a Bible, they're in the back. You can raise your hand and Chevelle will bring you one around. We're going to be on page 1635. Wonderful. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will read the word. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would change us, that you would shape how we think and what we love and how we act. Lord, that you would get in deeper than you've gotten in before when it comes to how we think about ourselves. And when we answer that question, who am I? We would be able to answer it with much more confidence and much more reliance on you. Change us through the word this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, just a few minutes ago, we, ran, we read John chapter 1, 1 through 18 as our confession. I'm starting in John 1 verse 19. And it says this. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? John didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, John the Baptist, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29 the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this 
is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, that's Simon, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Word of God. Who are you? Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you an employee? Are you a friend? Are you a grandparent? Who are you? Are you successful? Are, are you creative? Are you able to play a bunch of roles? That question, who are you, can be difficult to answer. But one particular man answered it this way. When he asked, when he asked who he was, he said, I'm alive and well and living in someone else's face. That man was an actor named Jan Leighton. And Jan Leighton was the man of a thousand faces. Now, he was really good at playing historical figures in television and radio commercials, so much so that he was on record as having performed something like 2,000 different roles in television commercials and on the radio. And all the, the figures he played, most of them were historical. For instance, he was photographed as Uncle Sam on the cover of Time magazine. He was photographed as Da Vinci and uh, Henry Kissinger for New York Mag magazine. He appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman as William Shakespeare. And he also did television commercials where he was Fidel Castro and Albert Einstein 
and Abraham Lincoln. He's the Guinness Book of World Record holders for the most roles played. The man with a thousand faces who says, I'm alive and well and living in someone else's face. But when asked, hey, hey, what's heaven like for you? What would heaven be like? He, He said this, heaven for me is to lie in bed stark naked with no costume, living in my own face and not someone else's, and luxuriate in my own skin. Kind of a shocking image, but so interesting that the man with a thousand faces said heaven for him would just be able to lie naked and not have to pretend to be somebody else. You know, as we talk about the question, who are you? Maybe there's something about the idea of putting on a face that resonates with you. Like you feel that you have to play a role that you really don't want to play. And there's something about getting to be yourself that's freeing and familiar. But, it, but if we look even deeper than that, if we talk about how we think about identity, uh, the way that we think about identity in our culture is something that we achieve. In other words, we get to be whoever we want to be. We get to create an image of ourselves based on images, based on our accomplishments, based on our successes, based on what we say is important to us. We achieve our identity by putting on a face or playing a role or performing or being perceived by other people or earning something. We think about identity achieved. But the problem with identity achieved is we end up with this idea of the enoughs. So if your identity is something that you do yourself, if it's something that you achieve, you say say you're a mom, then the question goes, are you a good enough mom? If you're a creator, are you creative enough? If your identity is found in being a man, are you a strong enough man? If you want to be an example to others, are you a good enough example? you're successful, are you enough of a winner? If you're intelligent or you see your identity in being unique or free or untamed or at peace, all of those come with the question, are you enough? Identity achieved. But for Christians, there's a fundamental difference about how we think about identity. For followers of Jesus, our fundamental identity doesn't come from something that we achieve but rather that's something that we receive. In other words, the deepest part of who you are from God's perspective isn't something that you construct, it's not something that you perform, it's not something that you earn, rather it's something that he gives to you. Identity received rather than identity achieved. So the Christian life isn't about playing a role, but rather resting in what God's done. The Christian life isn't about creating an image to show off, but rather listening to who God says that you are. It's interesting, when we start this passage, these guys come to John the Baptist, who had been baptizing people in the wilderness. He he had this great following. He was becoming a big deal. And so these people come to him and they say, who are you, man? Now at the time, John the Baptist is the second most important human being alive. 
Think about that. John the Baptist is the second most important human being alive. But when he's asked, who are you? He doesn't start with a list of things that he is. He starts with a list of things that he's not. I am not the Messiah. I just want to get that clear right from the get-go. I am not the Messiah, the anointed one who has come to save sinners. In verse 21, they say, well, uh, tell us more who you are. Are are you Elijah? No, 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 I'm not that that guy. Are you the prophet? No, I'm, I'm not the prophet either. Verse 23 through and 27, he says, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy, I am not worthy to untie. John, who are you? Well, let me start by listing who I'm not. And let me tell you who I want you to see rather than seeing me. I want you to see that there's someone so much more worthy than who I am. The best thing about me, John says, is I get to point to that guy. What an interesting thing that for John the Baptist, his identity would start with who he's not rather than all the things that he is. He's the second most important human being alive, but John's main goal is to tell you that he's not the most important human being alive, the God-man, Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself in Matthew 11 said this, truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one is great, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. There, Jesus himself says, the second most important human being alive is John the Baptist. But John the Baptist doesn't see that as being really part of his identity because he's so taken by the one who is more worthy than him. John goes on in verses 29 through 34, and he says these type of things. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him, speaking about Jesus. The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is the Son of God. John is so consumed by who Jesus is, he wants to make sure that everyone knows that that's not him. Jesus, the one who atones for sins. Jesus, the one who was baptized and the Spirit of God descended on him. Jesus, the one who can baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the one who is the Son of God. John was there when Jesus came to be baptized at the Jordan River. And that experience put such an impression on John that his identity was marked by the fact that he was not Jesus more than his list of things that he was. In Matthew 3.17, he got to see this event where Jesus was baptized and a voice from heaven came and said, speaking about Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And so John the Baptist, his understanding of himself was so taken the fact that by the fact that he got to point people to Jesus, he wasn't as concerned with who he was. Uh, he had seen the face of God in Jesus Christ, and that permanently marked him. So if you ask John about himself, he would say something like this 
in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's a weird way to think about identity, to start off with who you're not, right? But John identifies by knowing who he's not first, and then secondly, knowing who Jesus is. It's not that John doesn't have any opinions of himself, but he has been caught up in something so much bigger than himself. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he realizes that God's rescue plan is in action. The Messiah has come. And rather than parsing out everything about himself, he's just comfortable saying, I'm not him, but I get to be part of what he's doing. In our age of radical individualism, the world is really set up to think that we are the most important person in the world. I'm the most important person in the world. You're the most important person in the world. David Foster Wallace says this, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid and important person in existence. We really think about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness. Our culture is becoming more and more constructed so that we can choose the way that we want our world to be. We're becoming less and less able to be uncomfortable because we're so used to our apps and our home and our drive to work and everything sort of conforming to who we are. And one of the things that we need to realize about identity is sometimes identity can be a bottomless pit when it's constantly knowing more about ourselves. Something gets shifted when we begin to see identity as more of knowing Jesus Christ. Like knowing him changes us and we discover more about ourselves as we get to know him. It's sort of a strange thing that it's really hard to put into words because it's so opposite of how we think about identity. In verse 35 through 39, John is standing and he sees that Jesus passes by and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And at that moment, John actually loses two followers. You ever lost a couple friends on Facebook and you're like, who was it? I gotta figure out who it was. Here, John is fine with losing two followers because they're following the most important one. Look, the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Jesus asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus replies, come and you'll see. Now, when, when Jesus asks these two disciples of John what they're looking for, and they kind of say, where are you staying? They're asking more than just his geographical location. They want to know more about him. And what's so interesting is, is Jesus says, come, come discover who I am. Come spend time with me. Come and you'll see. And they stayed with him that day. We're getting to learn something more about identity and relationship to our relationship to Jesus Christ. That not only is our identity in knowing who you're not and who Jesus is, but our identity gets transformed as we spend time with Jesus and as we follow Jesus. In verse, 40, in verse 42, when Jesus saw Simon Peter, he said to Simon, he said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter or the rock. 
Now, I don't know anybody that you can walk up, or I don't know anyone who walks up to people and just says, I know that's been your name your whole life, but I'm gonna go ahead and change it. Unless there's something so powerful, so magnetic, um, something so unique about that individual that he can actually transform who you are, which is exactly what Jesus plans to do with Peter, with Peter, formerly called Simon. You, you are Simon, you will be Peter. You are Simon, you will become the rock. And that shows us that when we talk about identity in Jesus Christ, it's not just something that's theoretical. He actually wants to change who we are. He wants to change us into something that we cannot imagine at this point in our lives. See, our identity is something that's transformed by him, and therefore it is not something we achieve. It is rather something we receive from him. We become something different, something new, something new in real life. And what's the amazing thing is this is the moment where Peter starts a complete identity shift. And if we follow Peter through the gospels, we know that he's rather stupid. We not only know that, but he is a complete failure. Besides Judas, no one failed Jesus more than Peter. And yet, Peter becoming the rock isn't based on his ability to perform that identity, but Jesus' commitment to transform him into it. Peter becomes the rock after his greatest failure. That's encouraging to us because so many times we're tempted to walk away just like Peter did. Or maybe it's not walk away, maybe it's drift away from Jesus. Yet when Peter walked away, the identity that Jesus gave him was still there. Jesus was still there to transform him. Maybe, maybe that's you, you've walked away or you've drifted away. You need to know that your identity is still there. You can come back and live in the reality of being a child of God. You can come back and live in the reality of being beloved. You can come back and live under the identity of being called a holy one. Just as this moment, Peter is told he will be something different, and it was a complete journey of stupidity and failure, Jesus' transformation of him still happened because our identity is transformed in following Jesus. The next person that interacts with Jesus in verse 43 is Philip. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. And honestly, we just don't know much about Philip. All the commentaries say he's just kind of ordinary. He didn't do anything special. He's kind of maybe that disciple that like blended in with everybody else. And yet Jesus says, follow me. In the Greek, it means follow me and then keep on following me and then follow me some more. And maybe there's something for us there as we think about our identity being the fact that maybe I just feel like an ordinary person and there's nothing really unique about me. Maybe Philip's there for us to see, even if we're ordinary, there's something for us in following Jesus, getting up tomorrow and following Jesus, next year following Jesus, following Jesus all the day until we die or he comes back. Our identity is transformed as we follow Jesus. In verse 46, Philip goes and tells his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. This is Jesus. Um, he comes from that town. You know that town, Nazareth? And Nathaniel, who thinks about identity as something that you can achieve, says, well, hold on, man. 
Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I know, I know anybody that comes out of Nazareth cannot be a big deal because we know how people from Nazareth are. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Nathaniel's saying basically whoever this guy is, I already know him. I already know his identity. And Philip says, come and see. Come and see. Now, I love that. Um, I love that because so often, even as we talk about our identity, our friends and family who don't know Jesus think they've got Jesus pegged. Maybe there's an opportunity for you there, even as we talk about this book and sharing this question, is Easter unbelievable? And reading this with someone, maybe someone says, listen, man, I'm not really into this. I don't really want to read this book for you, with you. And maybe you can just say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Well, Nathaniel does. He comes and sees. And Jesus sees Nathaniel coming toward him and says about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. That is to say that Jesus knows something about Nathaniel. Part of Nathaniel's identity is that he speaks his mind. He's like a New Yorker. He just says what's there, which is why he said, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so Jesus says, here's an Israelite who doesn't lie. He just says it like it is. And in verse 48, Nathaniel said, how do you know me? How do you know me, man? Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you, Nathaniel, in that moment you had under the fig tree. I, I don't think Jesus here is talking about simply geographical, a geographical location. Like, I don't think Jesus is like just going, I know where Philip was, even though I wasn't able to see him. I, I think it's something more than that. That John doesn't really tell us what it is. But it's as if there was some sort of intimate moment, maybe a prayer with God, maybe a deep moment of shame. We can only speculate, and it's not really good to speculate with Scripture, but there was something more happening there that was deeply meaningful to Philip or to, to Nathaniel, maybe a moment of nakedness before God. And so then when Jesus says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you, Nathaniel is befuddled. Verse 49, he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. It's so interesting how that flips. Nathaniel thought he was coming to check out Jesus and Jesus was already checking him out. Nathaniel thought he already knew Jesus, but Jesus knew him on such a much more intimate level he was truly being known. And that's really the last point uh, as we talk about identity. Identity to the fullest is being seen and known by Jesus. I can't really explain it scientifically, but there's something about Jesus knowing where you are and who you are in the deepest parts of your soul that makes those questions of identity so much more secondary. Paul put it this way in Galatians 4. He said, you have come to know God or rather have become known by God. It's not just about your interaction with God, but the fact that God knows you. Identity to the fullest in being known by Jesus and being known by God. See, see 
if you're not yet a Christian, there's something there for you to explore. In the deepest part of who you are, God is coming after you. God sees, God knows, God moves towards you, and God wants you to know his son, Jesus, and be known by him. When Nathaniel is so surprised and confesses that Jesus is the son of God and the king of Israel, in verse 51, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's as if Jesus is inviting Nathanael into something. It's as if Jesus is saying, you're surprised that I know you, Nathanael. Wait until you get to know me. Now, any person in the world that would say that, it would come across as completely arrogant except the fact that 12 of these men who were called as disciples were completely transformed as they got to know Jesus Christ and as he got to know them. Jesus is saying that to know him is to know God. It's to experience heaven on earth. It is to be completely transformed, have your identity to the fullest be transformed in knowing Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who went to the cross for our sins, who defeated death, who sent the Holy Spirit, who one day will return and make all things new. And so when you're asked that question, who are you? There's something about the way you answer as a Christian that rests in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. For for the rest of your life, you'll have questions about who are you. Uh, My life has transitioned over the past six months. We moved and I really own the fact that now I am in middle age and I've had to kind of think that through. (laughs) And, And that has made me ask some questions. But there's something about that that I can still rest in even as I ask those questions about who I am. Who am I? I am a child of God. I am not first and foremost about the identities that I achieve, but rather the identities that I have received from Jesus Christ. I am forgiven, I am loved. I know Jesus and Jesus loves me. Even in my deepest nakedness and shame, I am loved by the Messiah of the world. And you might be here today and say, could that really be? Could it really be like that? Is that how identity really works? We would say, come and see. Come and see what it means to know Jesus Christ. I'll end with this verse. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Hear, Hear this, identity received, who loved me and gave himself for me. We can spend forever trying to achieve our identity. All we have to do is look to Jesus to receive a new identity and follow him. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.